0: Hey guys, welcome back to Rolling for Change. This is episode number 17 in which Brian and I talk about conflict in board games and rolling playing games and war games, of course. Uh, I think there's a lot we can do with conflict in games and I think this won't be our only episode on conflict in gaming. But it's a good start for a conversation and something that we hope you guys will chime in on and talk to us about. Anyway, I am just getting back from... Uh, Dice Tower Con 2018, but when this episode was made, I was just getting back from um, Pax Unplugged 2017. So you can see we're a little bit behind, but this is going to be the start of our new season, and we've got a lot of great episodes that are going to be coming up for you in the next few months here, so I I hope that you enjoy it, and uh, please contact us and let us know how you're enjoying Rolling for Change and the things you'd like to hear us talk about. Uh, you can contact us through gamers at rollingforchange.com. You can also post to our Twitter feed, which is at roll change or you can post to at Geek Therapy with the hashtag RFC. Okay, here we go. Here is our conversation about conflict in gaming. <laughs> change i'm here with brian hello hello brian uh how you doing i'm doing fine i'm very very tired yeah it's been kind of a long day i don't know what it's been like for for you but my day was mega busy even though it won't show on paper but it was mega busy
1: i started off feeling very smart and then ended up not so much
0: (laughs) isn't that what school's supposed to do for us yeah yeah so, uh, we're going to talk about conflict in games today, and I'm, I'm kind of excited about that because this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, but have not really put together the plan for it, and, you know, we talked about Smack Talk last time, right? or several times ago now, but we didn't really talk about conflict per se, and I kind of just want to play around with this idea of conflict in gaming and just kind of see where it goes, so... Um, we can certainly talk about games that we've had conflict in, the experience of conflict in games. Um, my story is always that games mirror some part of our lives or mirror some part of ourselves when we play. So the conflict that we experience in games is a microcosm of some of maybe the conflict that we experience in daily life. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, um, it, it really depends on the level of conflict you're dealing with. Um there are like Amerithrash games which are explicitly which are explicitly um confrontational and then there are the um passive aggressive confrontations within say Euro games.
0: Yeah, like Euro is pretty much we're not gonna have direct aggression. We're just going to have passive aggression.
1: Which doesn't stop the dammit sisters from being confrontational. No, of course not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it doesn't stop any... I mean, the confrontation there is more about, I'm going to get the resources before you do. I'm going to take the space in the worker placement game before you do. I'm going to get there before you do in the right. race game. Whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah. Conflict is, is kind of hidden in... You know, I think I've talked about this before, but reading about the history of Euro games, pretty much Euro games kind of came up with the idea that they didn't want to talk about direct confrontation because everything coming from America was war games. Right, particularly focused on Germany, and they didn't want any of that. So they wanted something a little less. I mean, I guess it's closer to home or more safe to talk about. You know, the fact that I grew up, I grew a potato field, and I mean, is that I don't know if potato are potatoes from fields. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably talking. Out yes, of potatoes are from fields. <laughs> they are
1: root vegetables.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I planted a potato crop, but you took my potato crop or something. I don't know. You know, I'm trying to think of all the different farming games that there are that come well, Oh, like Agricola, you know. Agricola. I'm
1: trying to grow this stuff, but I need to feed my people. I need, to get, I need to get some food, and you got to the food space, and now my people are going to starve because you got the food first. Exactly. You huge jerk. <laughs> there's so many games like
0: that, though. I mean, if you look at, you know, the shipping games, the trading in the Mediterranean, that's the kind of yep. tagline that they use on Dice Tower. Um, but there's conflict still. But... Seriously, the the conflict I get more caught by in games is more about a conflict in rules. Right. That happens to me all the time where it's either I don't understand the rule or the people explaining it didn't understand the rule or, God forbid, we're halfway through the game and, oh, I forgot to tell you this rule. And then that's conflict immediately because I'm like, I don't have a chance to win this game now. So... I don't know. I, I I'm trying to think of a particular instance, and, and nothing's coming to mind. But the rule conflict, what happens there is, if I'm if I'm honest about the situation, I'm not very uh, assertive in my conflict in games. I think it would be fair to say.
1: That's um, with the exception of that one um, <laughs> yeah. that one game of Twilight Imperium we talked about last episode. Yes. Um, or next to last episode. Yes, some, some episode. episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, in general, your your personality tends to lean t- tends to lean toward non confrontational.
0: Yeah, and also I don't. If I'm having conflict with somebody, I really don't know how to express it to them and still keep the game fun. Right. You know, here I am, a therapist saying I can't express my conflict. That that's wonderful, folks. I'm I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure that you feel. You feel supported by me now. But it it comes down to it. I don't want to mess up the game for myself and I don't want to mess up the game for others. And sometimes if you pull out of the environment of the game, like you suddenly go, you're, you know, you're embedded in the game and suddenly you come above the game and start talking about what's going on within the game from a more rules-based perspective, from a more uh, strategy-based perspective, something like that, it's hard to see the difference in people. One of the challenges I've seen is that if I'm learning a new game and I want to, to try to figure out the best strategy, the teacher, the, the rules teacher will often kind of play this role of kind of shepherding me into the game. But then every once in a while they'll take their hands off. Like they want to see how I'm going to handle things. And when I look to help, they, they don't want to help me anymore. And I'm still sitting there lost. And that that's conflict for me too.
1: Yeah. And I, I will say this though, um, from an outside perspective, most therapists in their job, in their career, have to restrain themselves. They can't show whenever they're upset with someone as much as they would like to.
0: Okay. I'm that's I'm, fair. I'm
1: sure you've been in the middle of a situation where you wanted to lash out at someone or say what you really were thinking and you couldn't do that. And it carries over into your into your real life where, you know, there's a conflict about to happen and your natural instinct is to diffuse rather than engage
0: that's probably true but that's probably also like we could get more in depth into this and say that that is actually a symptom of how i got to be a therapist rather than a symptom of therapy
1: (laughs) right well you happen to find a uh, profession that encourages your natural instincts right right i mean that's that's what we all want pretty much
0: so I don't know that's that's uh, kind of where I get caught by conflict. What what are what are your spaces where you get caught by conflict?
1: Um <clears throat> a lot of the time it's um it has been in role playing games. Yeah. Yeah. I've had um people I was playing games with. I tend to be the game master more than the player. Yeah. And I've had players who um tried to hijack the game, tried to make it all about their character and ignore everybody else. I've had players take outside, you know, metagame, take outside conflict and insert it into the regular game. God, help me with boyfriends and girlfriends or wives and husbands in games.
0: Oh, yeah. That happens a lot. That that can be challenging.
1: Except in our game. That hasn't really happened a whole lot in our game because we're all adults. (laughs) (laughs) it happened more in my twenties and thirties and teens than it has in my forties.
0: Yeah. Fair
1: enough. So yeah, a lot of my, um, and of course there's, there are board game instances where I've, where I've engaged in, um, some kind of conflict. Um, typically whenever someone doesn't like the rules to a game Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and either wants to fudge the rules in their favor Or um, ditches out of a game early because they're like, I don't know about this game. And they ditch out early.
0: Yeah, like, I'm going to lose the game anyway. Or worse, they turn it into, oh, I'm going to lose, so I'm going to sabotage everyone.
1: Right. One instance where this happened was um, at a local gaming meetup. There was a game going on, and I don't remember if... I don't know if you were involved in this one or not. But um, one of the guys... Was in a conflict with someone, you know, it was in a game called Blood Rage. Okay. And I was not in that game. Okay. Well, everybody in that game has to, if they're in a conflict, if they're in a battle, they have to place their cards face down and then flip them up simultaneously. Yeah. The guy in question saw that the card was significantly higher than his. And he said, well, I wouldn't have played this card if I'd known that card was in the deck.
0: So he okay. wa- so he
1: wanted to put the card back in his hand and take out another card that could potentially beat it. We're like, well, no, you're supposed to. He said, well, no one told me that card w- that cards that high were in the deck. Well, it's all the first time playing for all of us. We none of us knew that that card was in the deck. But you rolls the dice, you take your chances, right? Right. And he didn't like that, so he said, you know what, I I don't really like this game because I. I don't know all the cards in the deck. The deck's like 50, 60, 70 cards. Yeah,
0: you wouldn't be able to like you'd have to really be a like a a studied player in order to know all the cards in that deck. It's 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 kind of like um um God forgive me for saying it. Terraforming Mars. Oh god, that game. <laughs> but so yeah, it, it's a situation where you'd have to know all the cards in the deck anyway. to to make that statement. And I don't know how you're going to do that. And like, like, I don't know, maybe it's just, see, this points out, you know, I don't know this person and I I don't know anything about the game you played, but it points out. And and I hope that this person maybe caught it later on, but it points out kind of a stumbling block in terms of how to deal with conflict in the game. And that is, Oh, I'm going to take my chips and go home kind of thing. Right. That, you're not really in the spirit of the game anymore. You're more in the spirit of, I just got to win. I'm not enjoying this if I don't win. And that seems like a really strange, like for us as hobby players, it seems like a really strange thing to get so caught into competition that the game value is over if we're not going to win. Because that's yeah. going to happen. I mean, I don't know statistically. Maybe there's somebody that we know that wins most of their games. I mean, you want competition, but you have to be able to accept the, the
1: loss yeah, the, the, he, he was involved in two combats. The second one, he wanted the, his opponent to reveal their card first. Then he would pick his card. like that. No. That's not the way re- the game works. Like, literally <laughs> in the rules, it says simultaneously. Cause, uh, that, that doesn't make any sense. I don't like that. Uh, like, oh, yeah. So it's I supposed, to, it's supposed ten- to resemble I, a skirmish, right? I expect right? that from a child. I don't expect that from someone who's obviously in their 30s. Right. It's supposed to resemble a skirmish.
0: Right. And, you know, as much as we'd like to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring it to real world for a minute, as much as we'd like to say we know the, the defensive capabilities of other countries, they could always pull out a, a, an ace card and show us that they actually have something we weren't expecting. And, well, you couldn't really pick up the chips and go home at that point, but you right. see what I'm saying. Like, there's always going to be, what was it, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn said, always a bigger fish. Right. It's always a bigger fish. You got to deal with that reality sometimes. I think. Mm-hmm. So there's a when it comes to conflict in gaming, there, there's a another thing that happens to me, and that is when I'm trying to think of how this happened or what happened exactly, but I know that there was a sense of real anxiety at the table because of what was... Oh, it's the role-playing game. So you mentioned role-playing games, and you said it mostly comes up for you in role-playing games. And I I, I don't know... You know, we're getting personal again here, but the uh, when I first started playing Iron Gods, yeah. I had this vision of my character as someone who was... Yeah, he's chaotic good, and he, he does want to make sure that the good side wins, you know, he's going to win whatever, whatever it's required. Cause that's, that's kind of chaotic. Good. As long as I'm yeah. on the side of good, I'll do whatever it takes. But when the party started doing things that was against him, I was stuck in between this idea of, do I try to claim my stake, my claim as my character and go against the party? Or do I go along with the party? Because that's, that's sort of the metagame going on, where it's like I want to be with my friends and I want to play with my friends and have a good time, and this character's particular way of seeing things isn't going to contribute to their good time. It's going to be more like I'm breaking the party up or I'm, you know, I'm I'm throwing water on fire or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think you know about the incident I'm talking about, where yeah. it's it's like uh, my character just uh, he didn't want to kill somebody that I thought was important, that I thought there was no reason to, because we didn't have a real beef with them yet. Right, And everybody else was like, no, gung-ho, let's kill, let's kill. Not making fun of anybody. That was their characters, I guess. But it was hard to see. Hard. It was also the first time I have played a role-playing game in a very long time. So it was hard for me to see the difference between the characters that are ro- we're role-playing and the people that are role-playing the characters.
1: Right. And I, I personally love whenever there's that kind of conflict in a game where you have a character conflict between the morals of your character and the morals of the other characters, and you engage with that i really kind of like whenever that happens as long as it's constructive
0: so what's the constructive end that you see when you're doing that i mean you're you're playing dm you're you're doing your thing you're seeing this happen and unfold in front of you
1: well i've seen it on both sides i've seen destructive where one of the characters just one of the players decided um well let me set the scene for you okay a little bit yeah um I'm dating myself here a little bit, but it was a game of werewolf, the apocalypse right after it came out. Okay. And in this game, um, the player characters are werewolves. Um, and they're on a holy quest more or less to defeat a creature called the worm, which is a supernatural entity. That's basic. That basically feeds off chaos. Okay. And they're trying to, you know, cure this corruption in the world. There are, there's a faction of werewolves called the black spiral dancers who are working on the side of the worm mm-hmm. they, they've, they've completely gone against their fellow werewolves. The group was captured by black spiral dancers. And one of the characters they, they were given an ultimatum, do this or we kill you all. One of the characters, not only gave them exactly what they wanted,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but decided to participate in the torture of the other characters. Completely turned toward the Black Spiral Dancer side. Okay. Everyone was angry about that.
0: Was that part of the character of the player?
1: He says it was, but that's the part of every character he's ever played. He's always been the one guy who will dime out his, his fellow players. That was kind of the last game we ever played with him, too, because it's hard to play a game where you're diming out your fellow players. Unless, and this is the flip side of things, you're playing a game called Paranoia.
0: Oh, yeah, well. Yeah.
1: Now, in Paranoia, you, it's, it's in a far-flung future where some sort of catastrophe has, has happened. Um, most Game Masters say it's like a nuclear war or some kind of asteroid hit the planet or something. Regardless, you have, you're part of a society that has gone underground into a place called Alpha Complex, And the computer, who is the artificial intelligence who is taking care of the people down in the bunker, this giant city-sized bunker, Mm -hmm. um, has gone insane. Okay. Um, It's convinced that there's still danger up on the surface, and it's paranoid about um, traitorous people. It's paranoid about mutated people. Mm Mm-hmm. It's paranoid about everything. It's an extremely paranoid computer. I keep saying that word over and over again, but I can't stress it, it enough. But it is the
0: game name. It's paranoia, so.
1: Now, the crux of the thing is everyone is playing troubleshooters. Their job is to find trouble and shoot it. <laughs> the problem is they're all traitors in their own right. Almost every character is part of a secret society, which is treasonous. And almost every character has a mutant power, which is treasonous unless it's Unless they want to be a second class character and uh, second second class human being and admit that they have a mutant power and they're treated like scum for the rest of the game. Uh so it's it's better to hide. Right. So every single player is every single player character is trying to prove that the other people in their group are mutant traitors in some way, shape or form, especially if they happen to find out that they are traitors themselves. Mm. Basically, you're trying to protect your own hide by killing the other players, which is okay because there are six clones for each player. Do, do you, start,
0: <laughs> you know, I played this game with you, but I didn't know all this backstory. So do you start the game not knowing all of your own history?
1: Frankly, it depends on the game master. You okay. can start as a fresh clone that just came out and you're introduced to your mutant power by accident oh.
0: and you're introduced to
1: your secret society by them you know, gathering you in. Okay. Typically you start with some idea what your care, who your character is, and they've been promoted to troubleshooter. Mm-hmm. So you have an idea of who your character is and what their motivations are, that sort of thing. That's what most people tend to do, but I have played it where people are just completely fresh. Typically, if they've never played the game before, never played a role playing game before I start them off with as a blank slate, a tabula rasa, so to speak. Sure. And then they discover who their character is along the way. But the conflict there is embedded in the game. You're su- yeah. you're supposed to betray your fellow players, and if you die, well, hey, another care, another another you know clone will come along soon, and they'll get a copy of your most recent memory, which oftentimes will not include the time in which you were killed, so you don't know who killed you until later. Okay. Um, so you, as the players, have to play that off like they don't know. You can't you know metagame too much. Um. But the conflict in that is built in. Whereas Mm -hmm. in werewolf, everybody's supposed to be on the same team. So if you betray your fellow party members,
0: it's expected.
1: It's, it's not expected in werewolf and it's expected in paranoia. I see. Yeah. Right. So it becomes personal whenever Mm -hmm. you betray someone in say pathfinder. If one of your, if one of your characters, um, like there was one instance where, uh, one of the characters was, Succumbed to a mind altering effect, and he had to turn on the other players. That conflict was interesting. he was mind controlled to believe that this um this uh robot this this floating robot was his friend, and he was trying to help it right, and the party members were against it, and well, he had to help his little buddy, so he turned on everybody, but it was because he was under mind control, and everybody recognized that. And they played along with it, which was actually a, one of the more fun episodes this, we've this had. Was,
0: was this our game? Yeah, this was yeah, our okay, game. Yeah, okay, okay, I know what you're talking about. Where Everybody what? just kind of turned, there was some messed up turning on each other.
1: He was like, my little buddy, though, you guys, you, you guys can't destroy my little buddy. Dude, it's controlling your brain. No, he wouldn't do that to me. He's my little buddy. He's my little buddy. <laughs> and then the conflict happened. So those kind of conflicts are within the character's scope. Right. And that and even it's fits expected. in like
0: board games, like regular board games, because I'm thinking of a time when I was playing Mansions of Madness. Right. And, you know, that that's set. Well, the the nice thing about that is that betrayal's a big part of it, also. Right. And there was a point at which I was trying my best to get to somebody to hand them the gun so that they could kill the neg- the the really bad creature that was coming out of the out of the wall, and then, uh, our DM, whatever you want to call him, uh caused the character to turn the gun towards me and shoot me (laughs) (laughs) like what 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 exactly but it was perfect for the game because that conflict was set up already right so it seems like there are some games and especially like in betrayal games like battlestar galactica shadows over camelot uh betrayal house on the hill those games, it just kind of has it built in, and so it's expected. It's not really something that's going to bring... There's no metagame to it, necessarily, where you're right. going to take it outside of the game and say, oh, so you're a Cylon now, and I'm... You know, none of that, but it's when things turn and you don't expect them to... That 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 kind of unexpected moment when conflict really gets bad between players. It's right. not even so much conflict in the game, it's more conflict at the upper level of the game where, right. where the players are talking Versus the character level of the game.
1: Yeah, um, ladies and gentlemen, the excuse—that's what my character would do—is the lamest excuse in all of role-playing games.
0: <laughs> Explain, because I'm going to say that I—I've relied on that excuse on several occasions. Right.
1: If you're if if it's literally what your character would do, and that's oh, who your so character you say, has. Been, don't
0: take don't take it so that you can just turn whatever into. Right. That's what my character would do. Because you've got to follow the sort of the dictates of your character, basically.
1: Right. So this, um, in a game called Amber, which is a diceless role-playing game, one of the characters decided just because he thought it would be funny, he's going to summon the sign of the Logrus over over the pattern. The pattern and the Logrus in this world are completely diametrical opposites. It's like summoning antimatter and dropping it into a piece of matter and uh. just to see what would happen. Now, everybody kind of suspected what would happen. It would have a very violent reaction, but everybody else in the party was there, too. Right. So he just decided to do this on the spur of the moment because he thought it would be funny. And the game master said, well, logically, the only thing that happens is... Game over. You guys are now imprints on the wall. Yeah. Just as these black... You know, there's this black soot all over the place, and the only thing that's left are... The imprints of your characters reaching forward, saying "No." Did the game the game, the game, game ended. ended? The game ended. And are the
0: people that played still friends? No, <laughs> they are not. So one decision, just to see <laughs> what would happen,
1: managed to destroy relationships. Incidentally, it was the exact same person. Ah, uh, okay. Who, who turned who turned um, black spiral dancer in the middle of the game? That was kind of his thing. Was. K- throwing to, some to kind of pull the, the rug the out from under everybody. Right. So
0: he's getting something out of that. And I kind of wonder what it is. Like how far can I go with my friends before they'll push me away? It's almost like a testing right. ground. Cause I see right. this as a therapist. I see this on a regular basis. This, this child who I've been working with, who is, is getting along with me and doing really well, will suddenly sabotage the relationship in order to test whether or not I'm really going to stick around. Right. And so this, this test failed dramatically. And I wonder what kind of impact it had on on this this fellow? I you don't probably know. probably know.
1: I actually I don't know.
0: Okay, because you were you because were we all with him also. we
1: all lost contact with him after a while. Yeah. He stopped coming around and.
0: Okay. All right, so that that's fair. Um, I I just wonder about things like that. You know, there are reasons that people do things in games, and you know, whether or not it's our job as game players to just allow to be anything that happens or not that's that's a big question we could certainly ask you know if this character wants to sabotage the game is it okay and do we continue to play with them or do we just oust them from the games because we can't seem to make heads or tails with them i mean i would think you know a discussion about that somewhere along the way would say hey man i see that this is what you're doing and i'm concerned about it because it's it's starting to mess up everything else that we're doing so can you tell me what's going on and what this is all about right but we don't always have the presence of mind to address people outside of the game. It's almost like we expect the game to be the game and not to have those discussions outside of the game.
1: Right. And we tried to have that discussion with him. Um, he's, he, and his excuse was always, but that's what my character would do. And we told him, well, stop making characters that would do that because you're sabotaging the entire game. The whole game comes to a stop once someone betrays because I can't, run you through a completely separate game where you're one of the bad guys and then run everybody else through a game where they're one of the good guys because you're not going to be in conflict
0: 24-7. Right, wait a minute. What, what about Pierce in um, Community? Can we talk about that episode real quick? Sure. You know that episode, right? Yes. Where Pierce, Pierce, that basically the DM there had to sort of set things up so that there was incredible conflict between right. Pierce and the other guys who were playing D&D. So I, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this episode. I, I don't even remember the name of it. But it, it's an episode where the guys in the community play D&D in order to uh, kind of invite their friend Neil or to make their friend Neil feel like he was important. And it turns out that the, the process of Pierce, the character Pierce coming in and saying, you know, since you guys aren't being nice to me in real life, I'm going to be mean to you in the game. And it turned out to be a really great game. And everybody got a lot out of it. But that conflict um, had to be stirred up. And that's a situation, kind of what you're talking about there, in which someone came in with the express purpose of being the antithesis of everything else the party was going for. And yet, because, I don't know, I don't know why it worked out, probably because it's a TV show, but right. it it worked out that way. And I'm wondering if there's ways that we as as guides, DMs, rules bearers, whatever it might be, can can kind of use a, a person's energy that, you know, that sort of negative sense of, I want to tear it all down as part of the story of the game and make the game still enjoyable for everybody else.
1: I have done that before. Um, I was going to run a game of um, tune, which is an old Steve Jackson role-playing game where everybody plays cartoons. Yeah. Nobody dies. They all fall down and then they come back into the, into the scene later. Okay. And I was going to run a dark um, Darkwing duck episode. With the Ah, Justice Ducks. Mm -hmm. And everyone decided they wanted to be the bad guys. Okay. So I ran them through that game. And um, I took control of their original characters, which was, you know, Darkwing Duck and the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the name of the superhero from another planet who was just, like, the worst superhero ever. And there was one guy called Normal Guy who was the only person, normal person on the planet... Everyone was a superhero and this guy was just the worst of them. Okay. So they sent him to Darkwing Duck's planet so that Darkwing could um, train him up to be a decent hero and also kind of to get rid of him because he destroyed things everywhere he went. So I had him return. And Negaduck convinced him because one of the roles you have is smarts and he was not the smartest. He was not the sharpest tool in the shed. Convinced this guy that he'd come to an alternate reality where Negaduck was the hero and Darkwing Duck was actually a villain, and so we had this hero mm-hmm. fighting alongside the villains against my NPC heroes, and that was that was kind of a fun situation. But keep in mind, it was one session; it was a one-off.
0: Right, right. And that that it,
1: situation where the character where the player betrayed everyone would work great for one session maybe two sessions, but we were doing a full campaign. Yeah. And at that point it becomes more work for me to create a second storyline for that other player.
0: I get that. Yeah. That, that makes it much harder. So you have to really work at it, but is it the work that's, that's causing the problem or is it the fact that this person just really wants, like they just want self-sabotage really.
1: Some people just want to watch the world burn.
0: Yeah. I, I felt that <laughs> I felt that coming up from the flotsam,
1: yep, <laughs> one of us is gonna say it.
0: so I guess uh you know as a therapist, I've used games to kind of help my clients look at the way that they manage conflict, and the the various things that can happen in a game where two players are pitted against one another can bring out a lot of that sort of aggression and things that might be present otherwise. So it is, in a sense, uh, micro-gaming, I want to say. Because we've been talking about metagaming, where it's like bringing the game into the outside world. Now I'm talking about bringing the outside world into the game itself. And you know, that's obviously what I'm using in the therapy sessions because I'm trying to create a sense of reflection that I can then look back and say, okay, what was the reason that you had this conflict? How did this conflict play out? And what could you do to keep this conflict from happening in real life? Um. So there's a reflective quality within the game that that uh, I think sometimes people miss, and this is kind of my my standby statement: is we should all be talking about our conflicts in games. We should all be talking about our experiences in games. But I don't think that happens very much, and I think people people who are really strong gamers might even say it's the, the antithesis of the joy that they get in playing a game. I don't know what what do you think about that? Like, do you do you enjoy Conflict in gaming,
1: or do you? I enjoy conflict in gaming to a certain extent.
0: Right.
1: Um, war games where you're literally fighting against other people, especially if it's a multiplayer game. A two-player game is a lot of fun like that yeah. because it's it's basically like chess. Sure. Yeah. There are games like uh, 1960, making of a president, that's about um, the uh, election of Nixon versus mm-hmm. Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah. That one's a ton of fun. But okay. in Twilight Struggle mm-hmm. is another one of those. Um, Star Wars Rebellion.
0: Yes, yes. It's, that's, it's that's one player wonderful.
1: versus the other player. That's great, because it's that kind of conflict. The more players you put into a, conf- a direct conflict game like that, the more likely there's going to be that everyone's going to attack one person. Okay. And yeah. it's going to be the weakest person. Like, kind of what happened in our Twilight Imperium game, where the two of us were weakened by... Battling each other, and everyone else saw us—you know—saw us, you know, saw us as, as, though they were sharks swimming around a pool mm-hmm. of wounded fish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that sort of thing is—I will play those games, mm-hmm. and I like them to a certain extent. But there are some that are so direct confrontational that I don't like them as much. So are we
0: talking about war games when you start talking about right, that? Right, right. Like, like people who want to, like, uh, would you say Axis and Allies fits that mold? or That's yes. a two-player, though. Um
1: the, the most extreme version of that is um, Diplomacy. Okay. Where there's no randomness. Right. It's all based on who you can get to support you. I have played two games of Diplomacy, and I have played a to- grand total of... 30 minutes worth of the game. This is a game that takes typically an entire weekend to play.
0: Right. I've heard that.
1: Uh, 48 hours. You're constantly battling back and forth to each other. And I lasted a total of 30 minutes in two games total.
0: I've also heard that people lose friendships over that game. Like diplomacy is not diplomatic at all, really. Oh, yeah. It's more about manipulation of the other.
1: Right. Um, In this particular, in, in the last game that I played of it, I was playing Germany actually I played Germany in both games which was probably why I got destroyed. But every single person reneged on their their agreement with me and they all attacked Germany at the same time. And you were Germany and I was Germany which means that <laughs> everything I had was completely wiped out so i just packed up my stuff and left because i was done in about 15 minutes of the game first round i was destroyed
0: there's a little bit of a metagame going on there because in a game like that you automatically probably i mean is it set in a particular time period
1: it's set during world war one
0: there you go so you already have a certain bias towards the history in the first place right i wonder how different diplomacy would be if it was arbitrary alien ranks or something right. that didn't have anything to do with the reality we've experienced, if that would change the dynamic in the game and make it a much different game.
1: It's possible, but th- the strategic placement of Germany is right between every other country. Okay. So the first place they're going to take to try to buffer themselves against other people is Germany. So it Germany. really
0: is just a strategic move to it's take It's a strategic
1: Germany. move, and it's also everyone wants to destroy Germany. Right. Right. Because World War One, World War II, everyone wanted to destroy Germany. Right, except so you're for Austria. playing the
0: role, basically. Right. Okay.
1: That was kind of the situation that I was stuck in in that in, in that in that particular game. Uh, what was the game? There was a game that you um, decided you didn't want out of your collection. Um, Kemet, I believe it was. Kemet, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a very direct confrontational that game, was, and it and, rubbed and you the wrong I, way the don't first think time. I I'm played. much
0: of a direct confrontational person, but that was that was very much let's go kill the other team.
1: Right. Four players, and it's very easy for everyone to kind of gang up on one person.
0: That. And just, I, 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 for me, direct confrontation doesn't work. I don't like the war game, actually. Although I get it when people start talking about strategy games where they're trying to figure out how to you know, manage things. But I, I think it's probably a lot different. Uh, that game is it's almost personal in right. that game. And the only thing that I, I really think that game has going for it is the minis.
1: Right. Well, that's why everyone, that's, that's why you and I both love Twilight Imperium. Yeah. The combat is secondary. You're trying to accomplish goals. And sometimes those goals require you to combat somebody. Yeah. And it's very difficult in that game for it to become personal unless some schmuck decides they're going to just try to lay waste to you because they want to. That person's probably not going to win. So you at least have the consolation of knowing that they're sabotaging their entire game by trying to kill you.
0: Right. Right. Scythe scythe that's that mold also because right. there's like you can have two battles that you get points for and the rest you don't get any points for right so there's no point in particular battling. character which is kind of a warmonger character but right um that's kind of built into the game it, it's almost like if the if the if it's built in if you're going to the game and you know we're going into a conflict game it seems like that's a little more i can accept that i can do that you know like like we talked about rebellion um but if you're going into a game where you don't expect there to be conflict that happens and it does happen, then that starts to be where things fall apart. I think. Yeah. Like I don't. I don't imagine in Cinque Terre you could have really much of a conflict, except I wanted that and you took it. But that's so surface that it doesn't feel personal when somebody takes a card. That ah, you took my card. That's terrible, but it's not. It's not personal at that point.
1: Right. Um It depends on how you take things. If you take things from the board that are openly available to other players, that's one thing. One of the things that Amerithrash games do is allow you to take something directly from another player. Yes. I can take something in a worker placement game that other people want, but I can't go and take stuff from their tableau once they have it.
0: Right, right.
1: Which is why it's an indirect conflict you're not specifically taking things from another person. Um, It's done to a limited extent in um, Alien Frontiers, which Mm -hmm. is a a game where you roll dice and place them, and there's one space you can place that's the Space Pirates, and that allows you to go and steal stuff from other players. Right. And I've noticed that in most of the games I've played, that is the least used space on the board.
0: People don't like to have that kind of conflict that play... Those kind of games, I think. I could be wrong. I mean, maybe I'm just hanging out with the wrong people, or the right people, as yeah. I would see it. Um, but it seems like we do avoid that kind of thing sometimes. So yeah. much so that when somebody actually does it, it starts to be like, yeah, it's spirit of the game, but man, you're not with us anymore. You know? <laughs> um, so what? where would you consider risk in all this? Where does risk fit? Is it, is it a Euro? Is it a war game? Is it a Marathrash?
1: Okay, basic risk can get really tedious because you're constantly attacking each other over a long period of the game. And again, it can feed itself into everybody attacks one person because they happen to be weakened in that round. Right. That is fixed in um, Risk Legacy, which is the version that you permanently change every game you play. Because instead of playing to World Conquest, you're playing to a certain number of victory points. So taking areas from other players, you're doing for a strategic reason because it's giving you victory points toward the end goal of the game. Because it's built in that the only reason you're fighting is to get victory points, it makes it a lot harder to play that, that long game of let's utterly destroy a player. Also, once you're, once you're destroyed, you're completely out of the game in risk. Right. In Risk Legacy once you're destroyed you can come back onto the board later in a smaller with a smaller area. Unless there are no areas left. But um that's extremely rare. I've only seen someone completely wiped off the game in in Risk Legacy maybe two or three times out of 20 games, 25 okay. games. It's like I said it's extremely rare and usually most people can fight back from that. I've seen people come back and win from being wiped out. Okay. Um, so again, it depends on how you frame the conflict. If it's framed as you need to utterly wipe out your competition, like in monopoly, mm-hmm. it can, it can be kind of hurtful. Sometimes it can destroy friendships. And, but if you design it in such a way that my direct conflict with you is for a specific goal terribly sorry but I've got to do this because I need to get this victory point I need to get this right accomplishment finished I need to finish I need to achieve this goal then it's a little more understandable
0: yeah that's the kind of the Twilight Imperium look of things you know like my card says this I'm sorry dude I've got to destroy your planet <laughs> but it says so on
1: the card my character wants to do this I I I'll I'm going to take your home world and then I swear I'll give it right back <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'll even give you this this card so that to 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 like fix things so that you don't there are no hard feelings.
0: So I brought up Risk because I found this really neat article, and I'm not going to read it because it's kind of a long article. But it's called the article is called Syrians Looking for Solace Gather to Play Risk, a board game about war. And so the things that they were saying in in the in the article was that these Syrians who are already in war torn areas of the world and constantly having to deal with strife um, are really enjoying playing risk because it makes things more manageable for them. Like it's, it's almost like it brings it down to a calm, understandable level. So the, the the war can be going on outside the door. Like they were saying that they were in Aleppo while there was, uh, you know, um, I guess bombing going on or something going on outside, some conflict. And they're inside playing, Risk because this is making them feel more safe, right? It's just a fascinating thing, and and then, you know, they they went and introduced it to other people, and now uh, one of the characters in the story says, you know, basically, when I go somewhere, I I always make sure I take my game of risk.
1: Again, it depends on it depends on how it's framed, right? For us, we live in a more peaceful situation, and then throwing ourselves into this direct conflict is distress, right? For them, they're in a world of chaos, and they're adding order to that chaos, which creates stress for them.
0: Yeah, that, taking, that's absolutely it.
1: For us, we're taking order and introducing some chaos. For them, they're taking chaos and introducing order.
0: Uh, it says here, anything that is about war, we feel it is close to us, and we feel it is relevant to the context of our lives, said Mohammed Kanjo, whose friends got him a wrist-themed bittersweet chocolate cake for his 30th birthday. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Mr. Khan's, uh, um, we're assuming that the United Nations placed peacekeeping forces in Syria, said Mr. Al Khaled, a finance officer with another charity, Kesh Malik, um, referring to UN military personnel known as the Blue Helmets. Mr. Khanjo said that everyone wants to be green and risk because that color represents the Free Syrian Army, an umbrella group which includes many US backed rebel factions. The person who might plan to play an evil way will pick black, the color of the Islamic state flag, he added. The person who plans to inflict harm no matter what, that person will choose the color red, and that is the regime. Even some Syrians inside the country are fans of Risk and its cathartic effects. Since the early days of the conflict, Syrians have used gallows humor as a way to cope. It's just a fantastic article to find. I I, I don't think I've played Risk since I was eight years old.
1: I've played Risk but only in legacy format.
0: Yeah, I might need to to try to get back to that just to see what it what it's like to play again.
1: I've actually never played a game of Risk. Like a straight physical Risk game. you've never played. Right. I've only played it on a computer. Okay. That's an interesting thing to make note of.
0: And this is probably <laughs> one of the one of those Parker Brother games that uh it has a long lasting shelf life, you know, kinda of right. like Monopoly, which we may say that Monopoly Tears friendships apart, but it maintains its shelf presence over time. I mean, I don't think I've ever gone to a Walmart or to a Kroger or Kmart or Target or whatever and not seen a game of of Monopoly there.
1: Well, it's because Americans tend to play with rules, house rules that make it a friendlier game. Which is interesting of note because uh, I may have mentioned this in in one of the early. We've episodes. We talked about Monopoly in almost yeah.
0: every episode we've had. Well,
1: I mean, I may have mentioned this in one <laughs> of the. I think I remember mentioning this in one of the early episodes, but people from other countries come in without having, you know, a lifelong access to Monopoly, and they actually read the rules right. and they play them according yeah. to the rules, and they can't understand why people play with the house rules.
0: We we've talked about this several times now yeah. actually. This is very same thing. <laughs> I just I've started to realize that I that, like I want a bell on the table so that every time Monopoly is mentioned I ring the bell. <laughs> oh, there's Monopoly again.
1: Incidentally, you brought it up.
0: I know I did. I know I did. <laughs> no, actually, if you want to go back, listeners, you brought it up.
1: I did mention it first.
0: Uh-huh. Cried. <laughs> So, for a game that we hate so much, it comes up in almost every episode.
1: <laughs> well, we tend to remember the bad. We tend to re- remember and refresh the bad memories.
0: And, and yeah. here's the drinking game, folks. Every time we mention Monopoly on Rolling for Change, you take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Is he going to say it this time? Am we going to get drunk this time? I don't know. Ah. <sighs> All right. So I I think there's a lot more to be said for conflict, and I want to do a lot more research on conflict in gaming. Uh, Do you have anything else that you feel like we missed on talking about conflict?
1: No. uh, I think we pretty well covered it.
0: Okay. I I think there's probably a lot more to say, but I wasn't as organized as I wanted to be to talk about this because I'm in the midst of adopting a child. So uh, I think I can be forgiven. But uh, I know we'll come back to this con- this this discussion of conflict again and again because I think it's probably part and parcel of most of our board gaming experience. When we're when the game breaks down, it's usually because of some kind of conflict. It's either a conflict within self or a conflict between players. Right. And that breakdown is what kind of gives us the chance to wake up and say, Oh, we're playing a game. What what's going on here? You know, hammer hits the thumb instead of hitting nail. Right. So yeah, let's, uh, we've had some emails and we'd like to uh, read one in particular and talk about it. Um, Brian's going to read the email and we're going to kind of answer those questions along the way and, and hopefully we'll do a good job.
1: Okay. I may butcher your name. Please forgive me. If you want to send me a corrected pronunciation, feel free. Hi, my name is Hila from Israel and I'm an animal assisted therapist and educational counselor and addicted to the past year for, uh, to board games. I started listening to your podcast this week and was so happy to find someone saying my thoughts out loud, so thank you for that. I started brainstorming with a colleague of mine about board games and therapy with children. I'm working with teenagers in Risk, and she is working with um, high school ADD, ADHD and with kids with, um, on the ADS, ASD spectrum. This makes our discussions very interesting and your podcast helps a lot. It makes me want to create a podcast as well. Hey man, go for it. Hey, Yeah. Join us. That's what Sway's whole thing, man. If you, if you have something to say, make a podcast. Absolutely. Anyhow, I want to note that you didn't mention magic maze on the cooperative games episode. And I'd love to hear what you two think about this game. Also, I'd love to hear what you have to say about the quote unquote younger version of a few games like my first stone age and my first carcassonne and others. Last and last thing you're saying a you're saying a few times that there. There's a note in the okay. Never mind that. Just cut that out.
0: <laughs> there's a few times that we've said that there's going to be a notes page. Uh, yeah,
1: and we're we're slackers.
0: We are slackers. It's more just a matter of, for my part, I don't really know how to use HTML that well, um, and that's what Board Game Geek runs in. Uh, So I need to learn more about that and try to get it set up. We do have one episode where we actually had um, show notes, and I haven't done it since then. So I apologize that I have said that there is a page to turn to. We are working on it, and uh, we're going to get that taken care of in the very near future, I promise.
1: If you send me the show notes, I will make um, HTML out of it. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. Woohoo! (laughs) Yay. More stress.
0: Well... (laughs) For both of us, so that means that we need to go back and listen to each podcast and kind of come up with each with the things that we talked about, so yeah. that we can give uh, access to people. Because that's that's my goal. I want to you know I want to make sure that people have access to the things that we're discussing.
1: In answer to your question, um, I I have never played Magic Maze. I did watch a review of it, and I became so unbelievably stressed just from the review that I know I could never play the game. It sets off at least two of my most prominent red flags as far as board games are concerned. It's a timed game, which I mm-hmm. can't stand. And if you recall from previous episodes, I prefer games that focus on the social aspect of gaming, where I can sit and chat with my friends while we're playing the game. This game is completely silent. Um, all players are trying to are trying to move a series of pieces around so they, they can um, basically shoplift um, yeah, it, it's a game about items. adventurers shoplifting <laughs> from a
0: mall. It,
1: it's a crazy theme. So you grab the stuff and you've got to get up, but you can't speak. And each of you has a direction card that allows you to move up, left, right, and down. Mm-hmm. And you got to pay attention because a, a piece has been sitting there for a while and people will pick up the, the bunker, as I like to call it. And start smacking the table. Tapping the table, yeah. Tapping the table, telling you that you need to do something. So you need to look at the board and find out who needs to move up, because you're the person who moves people up. You're like, oh, crud, I need to move this guy up. Um, So the the combination of a stress time game plus the complete inability to even converse with each other, just, it's it's the most distressful game I could possibly think of, short of... um, uh, space Alert?
0: Space Alert. Oh, uh, escape the Curse of the Temple. Um, there's, there's a few, yeah, that are timed games. So when we did the uh, Cooperative uh, Games episode, Magic Maze hadn't come out yet, actually, um, because the Cooperative Games episode... It may seem recent in terms of our podcast, but we did that about a year and a half ago, maybe.
1: Yeah, give or take.
0: Yeah, we, we, we started a little slow on this podcast. And uh, so I will say that I played Magic Maze at the Dice Tower event uh, last summer, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I am not a big fan of timed games, but I did enjoy playing the timed game. But what I will say is that as a tool for developing communication among people... I think it could be a successful tool. Um, you know, we can get rid of the timed aspect and just start trying to get people to communicate with one another without communicating. You know, without verbal communication. The bonker is helpful, but also facial expressions. If you're talking about a, a group of people who don't have social skills in the first place, this without the timer, uh, which creates the pressure that maybe causes too much stress in the game. Without the timer, maybe it works out to be a really good game to illustrate how we communicate with one another without communicating verbally. And I think that could be a pretty fascinating way of of getting three or four people to start making some some, some gains towards making communication with one another.
1: Yeah, especially people on the ASD spectrum because they, typically, most of them struggle with nonverbal communication.
0: Exactly. And this is a very social, even though you don't see it as social, It's social for me to be sitting across from the table from you, and you expecting me to move when I need to move, and me not moving. Right. That's a social conflict that's been that's arisen from the fact that I don't understand what's going on. Learning those cues can be one of the most important things, you know, to anyone who's who's suffering with some inability to recognize emotional distress or emotional statements. So, I I think Magic Maze is a good idea, except for the fact that it promotes. Shoplifting. <laughs> well, you can always
1: reframe the game as they're going through a uh, a dungeon and trying to steal things from an evil overlord.
0: Sure, or you could say, you know, that the evil overlord runs the runs the uh, the local mall, and uh, it's their god given right to take the things that they owned in the first place.
1: Imminent <laughs> domain for the for exactly, the RPG community, exactly.
0: <laughs> but you know, the, the beginning of the game. Before you find all the artifacts, you are able to talk to one another. You don't have to have this silent communication. It's only once you find those pieces and you start actually stealing that you have to be as silent as a mouse because you don't want the guards to hear you doing what you're doing. So you're trying to get through that thing as quickly as possible in order to keep the guards from being alerted. And that's what the timer is for, is to keep the guards from... to to keep a sense that the guards are looking for you.
1: The nice part of the game is you can... at some through some mechanism in the game, flip the timer.
0: Yes. You can go to a spot in the game and it causes you to flip the timer over. Now, if you go to that spot before the timer is ready to be flipped over, like let's say you've only let a minute go and you turn it over, then you've lost that minute basically because now you've are or you lost two or three... I don't remember what the timer is worth, but you can turn it at the wrong time and get less time as a result. Yeah. And so you've got to be very careful not to touch the things that you shouldn't touch. But that aspect alone makes the time piece a little more bearable because... It's not like anything else where you have to deal with the timer. You can add time in you know as a result of your um your strategy within the game.
1: Now as far as the um My First Stone Age, My First Carcassonne. The kids I've worked with typically were middle school high school age and they could handle the standard Carcassonne the standard uh um, right. games pretty well so I've never really played the My First games and all of my children the youngest one is 16 so Really I played my first those. Catan
0: with my godson. Um and he got it really quickly and easily and seemed like it was a good stepping stone for him because as he got really good at that and got good at accepting defeat when defeat was there and and you know winning appropriately um he moved on to Catan. I think it was a good stepping stone for him. I think if you had just started him in a Catan, it might have been too overwhelming. Right. So I think those my first games, my first Ticket to Ride, my first Stone Age, whatever it might be, those might be good stepping stones for kids who are just learning about. You know, it, it's 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 a matter of trying to invite people into our hobby, and in this case, kids who have maybe less of a cognitive capacity or less of a in a um, less of an ability to accept a lot of different things happening in one time because they just can't process it yet. They're not at that level yet. Uh, I, I think it's probably a good a good thing. Um, I was thinking the other day, I'll, I'll just say this because I thought it was a cute thing to think. I was thinking that there needs to be a My First Feld.
1: Yes, I remember you talking about that and me thinking, that's freaking fantastic. But <laughs> and if it's First Feld, it would have to be designed by... Friedman Fries. Friedman Fries, who does, lot, who do, does the, the FF, FF games.
0: games. <laughs> and I just liked the idea of Friedman Fries coming to Feld and talking to him about this.
1: Freedom and free should go to work for Fantasy Flight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers. Of course.
1: So uh I think that's too many F's though.
0: Well, Fabulous Furry Freak. Oh, it's three, so you gotta have two.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Alright. He could well, design a game called Furry Freaks, though.
0: Or he could get on the Final Fantasy.
1: Yes. <laughs> And join the Fantastic Four.
0: Ah, perfect. <laughs> I don't have too many more FFs.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> I'd like to just keep going, but no, I just
0: don't have it in me.
1: Oh, and don't forget the app that we use for um, first player, Fast First. Fast First. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. Now I'm starting to reach.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're doing <laughs> good. You're doing good. Um, so uh, we had a second email. From Hila. And uh, we could go through that as well just to answer questions there. I've got it here. Another thought came to mind. When we bring a born game to therapy, we bring two more identities into the room my playing self, which is partly aware and partly unaware. Um, If we gamers hate, if we gamers that hate to lose or hate cheating, uh, respond to it in an aggressive way, um, or if winning is not important to us, and our client feels we, we're letting them win. Uh, the other identity is the patient learning, uh, the, the client learning habits, his learning self. So, talking about selves within game, basically. Uh, because most of the games are unknown, we as therapists take the teacher hat and teach the game rules, and I'm guessing for ADHD patients, that brings up conflicts about learning abilities immediately. These two identities come together with the board games, um, and so we're kind of faced with the the question of whether or not we want them uh, to change or control them. Um, so I, I think this, the, the points you're making here are really Im- important in the sense that we're talking about the way that people live within the game. You're talking about two selves within the game, and I'd say there's many more selves within the game, but there's certainly... A playing self which is half aware and half unaware and we get embedded in that awareness on a regular basis where we're like the game is the game especially in uh, what happens more in video games for me than it does in board games but I'd say in Twilight Imperium and probably in Rebellion and probably some other games where theme is really heavy and really done well that I get enmeshed in the story of the game especially role playing games obviously uh that, that waking self and that sort of sleeping self, it's almost like a sleeping self within the mm. game. It's like you dream the game, but you don't dream the self. Right. Uh, those things seem to exist when we're playing, and it's, I guess it's up to us as therapists to wake up the sleeping self and let the sleeping self see what's going on within the game, the playing self, as, as you called it. Um, and then the teaching self, I really want to do an episode sometime about teaching games and learning yeah. games. Because uh, I don't know about our listeners, but for me, I've recognized teaching games to be a strength of its own, a skill of its own that maybe not everybody has the quotient for. I certainly don't think I do. I'm a rules crawler. I read rules aloud, and I try my best to guess things. Sometimes I'll watch videos and try to figure out what's going on. But that's that's something I think we need to talk about in the future. Like, what is it like to try to teach people, and what is the role of a teacher, and those kind of things are good questions to ask. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on on that email?
1: Well, taken from another point of view, um, whenever I'm trying to teach a game, I try to take into account um, who's playing yes. and how much experience they have. Mm-hmm. If they have some, if they have some experience with gaming, I might not take it too easy on them. Okay. There are certain moves that are just jerk moves right. that are expected among gamers. And if you're very, very well versed, I'll make those to a certain extent and I'll explain what I'm doing as I do it. Mm-hmm. If you're more new to gaming, I will not do the jerk move unless you do one first. Okay. Then the gloves come off to a certain extent. Basically my goal is to introduce people to games and have them find a sense of enjoyment out of it. Right, right. And if I go too cutthroat too early, I could kill their love of gaming altogether. True. And I don't want to be that guy.
0: So yeah, there's a difference in the way we come to it as to whether or not we're going to allow certain things or or be certain ways in the, within the game. Yeah. You know, this is something that Josue has talked about before, which is this idea of taking a game And creating rules that match the needs of the moment, rather than using the rules that exist there. So we were talking about in terms of like the one-hour therapeutic hour. Yeah. You know, is there any way to bring in a game like? I'll pick my favorite because I talk about it all the time. Terra Mystica. Is there any way to bring Terra Mystica into a therapy session? You'd have to really alter the rules and fix some things. I don't yet know the answer to that question because I just haven't made that that step. I don't even know if it's worth it to make that step with that game in particular. There may be other games that match it, though. But the fact is we can, we can handicap the game in a way that everybody in the game gets to have a level of control and a level of skill. Yeah. I remember talking to um, a friend of mine about the way that he worked with his children in terms of teaching them games, and he would take all kinds of handicaps to make sure that he was on their level. So if, if he saw that he beat them too badly in one game the next game he'd take several handicaps just to make sure that they were on the same level so they were playing on a level playing field so that the, the child could learn how to play and feel, uh, feel a sense of satisfaction in his play and not the sense that just every time I play this game I'm going to get creamed. Right. Which I thought was fantastic. I, I thought that was a fantastic bit of parenting because he had pared down some games to make them more palatable for children. That seems like an important skill for us to talk about in the future also that that ability to to match games to the player yeah so we've got all kinds of directions to go in the future Um, (laughs) and i'm excited about that because i feel like we're we're really building something here so i think i want to make the call to everyone again i i want to do this i'm going to do this call to the altar every session now which is where i say you know one of our sort of goals as a podcast is to tell the stories of the community and I think this is bigger than we ever thought it was Uh, I think people want to talk about the way that games are are enhancing and changing their lives and people want to talk about what games are doing for them in the social sphere in the cognitive sphere in all these different areas so more than ever I'm seeing like part of our mission statement is that we bring the story to life, that we give voice to the community in some way, shape, or form. So, I'm asking you guys, if you want to contact us and tell us your story, you can send, you can send an MP3 if you want to, or you can send a letter to Gamers at RollingForChange.com. You can also contact us on Twitter. Uh, we are using. Um, at Geek Therapy, and you use hashtag RFC to 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 notate that you are talking about rolling for change.
1: I mean, it's kind of in the name, rolling for change. How are games changing your exactly, life? Exactly, exactly. And I'm, I I cannot stress this enough, in both positive and negative ways. Some people have some stories that, from their perspective, are negative, and they wouldn't want to share them normally
0: that's probably true and we in the community i think want to hear those because maybe maybe we can help you with what's going on there maybe we can all commiserate and say yeah that's really an issue that we deal with or it just brings light to things so it's kind of like we're a community even though we don't we're not knit by knit together by anything but cardboard and ideas we're still a community so whether you're in Africa or Australia or America, I think we share something in common and that we love board games in the first place. So let's talk about what it is we love so much and make sure that we highlight things that are important to us. So that's, that's where we're headed, folks. We want to talk to designers. We want to talk to players. We want to talk to pretty much anybody in the board game community. All right. So we're going to come back soon. And possibly talk about teaching games. And, and maybe have some discussion about what it's like to teach a game. So that's, that's our topic that's coming up. So you can maybe check in with us by sending an email or sending a tweet. We'd love to hear from you. Anything else, Brian?
1: Keep on rolling for change.
0: Thank you. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Rolling for Change, episode number 17, Conflict and Gaming. If you enjoyed our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is gamers at rollingforchange.com, or on Twitter, we are at roll for change Rolling for Change is a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. To find more amazing geeky podcasts and content, check out geektherapy.com. Our theme music is composed by Rocket Scientists. You can find their music on bandcamp.com and wherever you buy great music. Thanks so much for listening, and keep on Rolling for Change.